You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hello, Michael. Andre, we suck. Yeah, we do suck. Uh, let's keep this short and sweet. We have two very special guests. Uh, I don't know why we haven't had them on sooner, but uh, do you think they will be just... on again? Yeah, let's roll the tape. This past weekend, I went down to Niagara to stop by what is one of the, I think it's the first, if not the first, one of the first wineries that you drive by when you come into Niagara from Toronto. I think they're, the, I think they're, they're the second, but I don't know uh, if Puttacombe is making wine anymore. I think they are. Um, I think they're maybe a few feet uh, closer to Toronto than we are, but uh, they've got a long driveway. So let's just say we're the, the first stop. Who is first, that angelic voice? Uh, the, the first the, the first voice comes in. Uh, so that clarifies that one. Andre, continue on with your introduction, because I think people are going to be surprised that we are going to be uh, 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 talking about, amongst other things, Chardonnay again. That's what happens when you let me handle the bookings. I, you know what? I am starting to realize that now that we are past the 200 episode, that I am going to have to start taking a firmer hand in what we are booking. I have an agenda. I know you do, and i got to stop it. <laughs> I, I visited one of my favorite little wineries that could, um, and I'm very happy to be joined by Ilya and Nadia Senchuk of Leaning Post Wines. I'm here too, you bastard. <laughs> hey guys, how are you doing? <laughs> hey, how are you guys doing today? Very, very good. We're doing fantastic, guys. And this is our first podcast, so we're really excited to be uh, with you today. Yeah, we seem to have done uh, almost every other kind of media at one point or another, but for some reason, podcasts, uh, yeah, well, you guys, we well, we had to wait for the best, right? We had to go to the best podcast first. <laughs> so. That's what I like, the preeminent is oh. what you call it, and award-winning. Flattery so, right. will get you That's- everywhere. <laughs> and and uh, it's not it's not unusual that we uh, we are your first. So there we go. Um, okay. So Andre, did you have the first question, or would you like me to ask it, or what would you like to do here? You know, How did you want to take I, on the little engine that could? I do know I want to dive into a bit of history about Leaning Post, but what's very very exciting is when I went to pick up uh, to pick up some wine, um, and I needed to buy a bottle of the Lowry Vineyard Pinot Noir, but that's not what we're tasting on the podcast. Frankly, to see if Ilya did as good a job as Thomas did with his 2017. Lowry Pinot Noir, but I noticed that there is a happening expansion happening at the winery. So congratulations on that. Oh, thank you. I, I yeah, think, Andre, before you start digging into uh, Leaning Post, I think maybe Ilya should uh, give us a little bit of his background. Like, how does he come to own his own winery? Because obviously you just don't, you know, walk into it unless you're like super rich. Uh, so Ilya, what is your background? How do you come to Ontario wine and winemaking? Let's do that. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so actually, uh, probably the the most uh, interesting thing is that both Nadia and I aren't even from Ontario originally. We actually um, are both from the uh, grape-growing mecca of Winnipeg, Manitoba, um, <laughs> which is, um, yeah, as you know, not a grape-growing mecca. Um, but we, you know what? Uh, both, um, I, I really fell into um, into making wine um uh, really uh, through just a love of food and wine. Um, and I actually, is a weird thing. I, I, I read an article um, just in the University of Manitoba uh, uh, bookstore about uh, the Brock program here in St. Catharines. And I just, I remember thinking the very naive thought of, um, you know what, um, I can probably do that. I can make wine. Sure, why not? So, <laughs> and that was that was literally um, the the genesis. I just came here, applied, uh, did my. And that was in '99. Yeah, uh-huh. that was um, you know, pretty much 20 years ago. As crazy as that sounds, um, and then uh, yeah, moved here, um, did that, uh, spent about 12 years working for other people. Uh, so in in some pretty decent wineries. So a place called Daniel Lenko, some of you might have heard of. Uh, I was in charge of uh, Foreign Affair in Vineland for about four years. Um, did some vintages in uh, New Zealand, um, and then um, Nadia and I um, had the even crazier idea. So I was already a winemaker, but we had the even crazier idea of saying that we wanted to actually uh, open our own winery. So uh, started leaning post with the 2009 vintage on Lowry Pinot. Uh, 
um, as a virtual as a virtual project. Um, I made the wines at Foreign Affair uh, when I was the winemaker there, and then um, we took the even crazier step in 2011. Uh, Nadia and I uh, actually went uh, property shopping for about two or three years, and uh, in February 2011, uh, bought our current property uh, that that we have uh, that Leaning Post is on. So when you were growing up in, in Winnipeg or, or raised in Winnipeg, what was the, the the culinary scene like to kind of draw you to to winemaking? Like I grew I grew up in Regina and you know Oh you haven't dropped that bomb in a while, no, Andre. I, 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 oh, I haven't but well, there I mean, you go. We got we got the Western connection. But but that but that be, but that be, I was born in Edmonton. I don't see anybody I don't flaunt that every time I get a chance. <laughs> But I mean, it's it's just like I think about like because my my love of wine does come from drinking wine with my parents. But you know, I look back on what you know they kind of weaned me into fine wine, and it was a lot of Wolf Blast. I mean, you go to the liquor store in Saskatchewan, it's still a subpar yeah. selection compared to the country. So like, uh, what what cultivated this this love of food and, and and wine before applying to the program? Like, what made you think like, oh yeah? Uh, the, the weird thing is, is uh, so so you at least had your parents. Uh, like uh, sort of introduce you to that. My parents um, are not real drinkers. They barely drink at all of any any kind of alcohol, and and certainly not in any fine wine. Um, I mean, my mom is uh, is a visual artist, but it's not the same thing at all. And they weren't. So I don't know. I think it was just a weird attraction of like I was really into food, really into culinary, and um, wine was sort of an offshoot. And somehow that led me to it rather, you know, but, but honestly, like I said, I had this sort of really naive thought of like, I really like wine. I should, I could probably do that, which um, sometimes you have those weird moments in your life and that just kind of takes you down this road. And then, um, and then, you know, Nadia followed me down here, but was in, uh, was actually in, in business. So I'm not really related to wine directly. No, for me, I was in commercial banking, sitting across the table from entrepreneurs every single day, and I totally caught so, the. So you were work, you, so you were used to drinking in the afternoon, anyway. Well, absolutely, I worked for the bank, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I just wanted, I wanted to be an entrepreneur, and uh, I didn't really know anything about any business, uh, but he knew something about wine, and we had this really crazy idea. Hey, we should start a winery. And stupidly, I had a, I did a, um, a back of the napkin, um, a very naive back of the napkin numbers of thinking that we could do this. I mean, it was the most naive napkin I've ever written on in my life um, because I had no idea what costs uh, were in front of us. But whatever, it was enough to get us started. And we started virtually and um, started pulling cash flow from selling wine um, to restaurants only. And it gave us the impetus and the the balls uh, to to do this. So it um, whatever whatever road it, you come to this business, um, I don't know. It's a crazy one, but uh, it's worthwhile. I mean, I'm now. Uh, I've now left banking. Um, I I think it's about 18 months ago. I got my uh, certified sommelier um, uh, certificate um, uh, in Toronto with uh, uh, the Somme Factory and uh, the Guild. And to me, I, I was tired of everybody only wanting to talk to my husband about wine. So I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some knowledge behind me and I'm going to uh, be able to be a, a, a full-fledged member of this business and not just uh, the wife of. I, to be fair, I think every tasting that I've done at Leaning Post, even in the capacity of, of a writer, I've always done it with you, Nadia. And, and I've always really enjoyed... The, the passion that you speak with your your wines like you're you're both very proud of what you do and the, the I, I I did one with Ilya I think when they first started but his barrel room was so small I don't think I got past the door <laughs> well we we're we're only slightly larger now <laughs> but, but we're really hoping Getting that's larger one, of the, every one day. of the things we're doing is uh, is is rapidly outgrowing our our building so as Andre mentioned I mean we've uh, we're definitely doing a big expansion so we're more or less doubling the size of our building at the moment so we're in a kind of a completely different um, stage in our business but we are almost 10 years in so so it's been really nice to see I mean the biggest change is um, even 10 years ago I think what we were doing was maybe seen as a bit kind of crazy and um, and 
And just because, like I said, we didn't, um, I think Nadia has probably alluded to it, but we didn't have any big financial backing at all. Um, our entire financial backing consists of us making some wine, um, going out there, assuming eventually some people will want to buy it, and then using that, that money to, uh, to buy more grapes and make more wine. <laughs> and then eventually that would lead to a property and all these things. But all these things are built as a real business. Like to us, yeah. the wine business, we love it. It's our passion. I mean, I, would, I couldn't imagine doing anything else at all with my life. But we've also always treated it as a business. It's not um, sort of a sideline for us. Um, maybe uh, for some people it might be. But for, for Nadia and I, I mean, this is what we do full time now. We're both uh, full time in the winery uh, we have a bunch of employees we you know like it's, it's a business for us and we we want to do both things we want to get our uh, get our passion for wine and our passion for especially terroir driven Niagara wine out to everybody but we also want to make sure that we're always on a solid financial footing because this is the way um, you know that we uh, that we feed, feed three children well. <laughs> so. feed three children um, and, that, and that includes Ilya right no, 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 no. He's the fourth. <laughs> uh, so let, let me ask you: When you started the, the the business and you got into it, I mean, you were working for other people for twelve years. When you started the the vir- leaning post as a virtual label, what was the moment that you were like, "We can do this. This is this is viable. Um, I'm on to the right track here." Do, do you remember that moment? I do. Um, it was the day that we got our license on this property. Um, our, was it the manufacturer's license? It wasn't even retail. Yeah. And I brought him home a cake, and I said, I got, I went to a superstore or whatnot, and I said, we are a real winery uh, on the cake. Um, I don't know. I still have it was a picture silly. of that cake. <laughs> but yeah, we actually, yeah. So it, apparently, it was actually on a. It was like a birthday. We had a, we had sort of a little birthday party for our winery. Um, which is really quite funny because um, we didn't even have a tasting room. The tasting room was essentially uh, like it, it wasn't even finished. I had just kind of, you know, we just had a few tanks. Like like Michael, you said at the beginning, we just had a few tanks in sort of, uh, you know, a semi-finished barn. <laughs> and that's essentially how we started. Um, but you know, we, we just figured, um, we've always, we've always had a passion for this business and we just figured, um, as long as people see that and, and they taste the wines, we, we figured, uh, you know, it can't help, but eventually work for us. And then as things have done, we just continue to put the money back in the business and, mm-hmm. and, you know, make ourselves, you know, look a little, uh, maybe a little slicker without, uh, without losing that original, you know, um, as, as, uh, we like to say uh, two shitheads in a barn. So the, uh, the, the the property itself was does it ha- did it have a vineyard on it or it was just a piece of property? No, it did. Well, it did, but it was an abandoned vineyard. So it was a sort of we've all seen those. It's kind of a little bit of a classic <laughs> Niagara um, property in a way. It's got a 1860s uh, red brick house um, and an 1850s barn. And then uh, out back, I mean, it, uh, so the total property is 11 acres. There was essentially about eight acres of broken down vineyard. So, uh, you know, it, it had been a vineyard in the past for many years, but, uh, you know, it, it had not been taken care of for probably 25 or 30 years. So, you know, at the time we were very excited, but now looking back at the pictures, I mean, what we really bought was, um, you know, a lot of weeds potential. and posts and wires. So, no, Nadia, and a lot of a, a lot of potential. So, Nadia, what did you say was planted there prior? Foch and Deshonac. That's what I thought. I heard the Deshonac, uh, the Foch. I, I think I would have. I think I would have got a, uh, uh, ran away screaming from that. Man, the the abandoned vineyards, though. Like, if if anyone listening to this podcast hasn't had a chance to see one, it's really remarkable seeing what the abandoned hybrid vineyards can do. There's one next door to um, Ridgepoint. Where um, where we bought Pinot in 2017, it was a. I'm thinking it was Baco, and nobody touched the vineyard all summer, and it will really grow like a weed. No, oh, Baco's horrible for that. I mean, there was so much fruit, but so much leaves, so much growth, everything. Like it, it, it literally looked like a like the, the swamp thing. Yeah, and and that's not dissimilar to what uh, this place looked up uh, looked like. Although um, I would say that it had been a very long time because even those grapes were were starting to really uh, like fall apart. There wasn't a lot of like growth of grapes <laughs> going on on this place. So it was more like old infrastructure. So we spent basically a couple of years uh, ripping that out, uh, and then 
uh, in uh, 2013, in the spring of 2013, we planted uh, five acres of Pinot Noir and Chardonnay on our property. So See, I, don't, I don't even like pulling weeds out of my own garden, so I can't imagine what it would be like to rip out like vines and stuff like that. So. That's just because you're uh, it lazy. Was, you know, more or less two years of work just to get it kind of at a plantable point. And I mean, when we really look at it, I mean, it's basically been more or less 10 years of fixing up something, <laughs> um, but it's been amazing. And, and um, uh, you know, that's part of the joy is because we live here as well on the property. So it's our home. So I think the biggest thing that Nadia and I, I'm sure she can back me up on this is we try and treat every person who comes to our place like they're entering our home. We really want well, to feel- family like like yeah like like we live here and and their friend long lost friends or family and we want to tell them our story so i think that's a, that's a good uh segue to uh get us into a first bottle so i'm going to ask you guys you know the three bottles we have which one are we going to start with uh we're going to start with the uh the 2018 senchuk vineyard chardonnay but Got maybe it. we can talk about the two chardonnays uh together just because uh they are related they're actually both from our vineyard and we can just talk about kind of how um uh why we have two chardonnays so i mean and we thought the the three wines we're doing today are all from our estate vineyard and we thought that was a good way of just kind of talking about this uh this spot um in niagara because it's i think a little bit unique compared to other places so Maybe before we get into get into the, the two differences, um, what made you decide to plant Pinot and Chardonnay? Um, I think the biggest thing is so. I mean, well, two reasons. One, um, uh, we love it. Both, yeah, both exactly. <laughs> both both Nadia and I absolutely love love uh, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. So when we were looking for a property. Um, we always had that at the back of our minds. Um, so what we were looking for in Niagara is even though um, I think a lot of people maybe think of Niagara as kind of one big region, there's a lot of little subregions and a lot of little microclimates and differences. Um, and some of those differences can actually be quite stark. Um, so I sort of had a particular idea of the kind of Chardonnay and Pinot I also wanted to make. Um, and that is quite a cool climate style, lots of acid, lots of freshness, lots of kind of focus. So that meant looking for a certain type of property and where we bought uh, is in a little town called Winona and it's a really neat spot because it's quite a narrow part of Niagara so the lake and the escarpment are really close together and what that does is really keeps our um, our entire vineyard as a whole really cool uh, temperature wise uh, throughout the growing season and then so that was sort of what like that led us to thinking well that's automatically I thought Chardonnay and Pinot because that's what they like as grape varieties if you want to make really interesting intense terroir driven Chardonnay and Pinot then you kind of want that climate so it was sort of self-fulfilling like you know i don't know if it's a chicken and egg thing but the kind of wine we like we kind of took a bit of a flyer on the on the vineyard because of course the vineyard wasn't like an established kind of like top tier vineyard it was you know an abandoned vineyard that looked and felt like it should be right for us so i'll be honest i'll tell you a funny story i used to do a Grimsby Farmer's Market when we first started and an old man came up to me and he says, hey, you, what are you doing there? I see what you're doing. Everybody knows the only thing that Winona can grow is houses. And the first time we won platinum at the National Wine Awards for our Chardonnay, and when we've had wine writers, you know, gleaming and glowing about our Pinots, I think about that old man so often, and my middle finger does go up to him <laughs> frequently. Because just because, just because it is not an established area, we know Beamsville and the bench is wonderful, but we need to be talking and looking and trying new things and experimenting with land in Niagara. We sh there shouldn't be abandoned vineyards. Try something else. You know, I just, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. There are some places where it's too cold or it just didn't work or somebody's abandoned it. But just because the family didn't want to do it any longer does not mean that this is not a wonderful growing region. I mean, Winona is the home of the Peach Festival. If it's also the home here, of Memphis Grill, if I'm not mistaken. It is. Absolutely, yeah. Memphis, Memphis Fire Barbecue. I mean, what more do you want? Like yeah. basically great wine and barbecue. So before you guys came along, that was pretty much what we know was known for, wasn't it? That's right. <laughs> and 
I still haven't gone. I can't believe I'm a barbecue fan. I've never been to Memphis. It's good. Oh, you have to. It's go. really yeah, good. It's, it's, actually, it's actually, I think legit, actually. I think I went there. I can't remember what the event was the day before, but like, Nadia, you knew that I was hungover and I was there with a friend of mine, and you you told us where to go. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's told you where to go many times. Oh yeah. No, but yeah. I think she's. I think she saved my saved my life that day. Memphis barbecue. It has it has restorative powers. Definitely. Well, I, I remember Steve Byfield and I were always supposed to go together, and uh, he's now gone like four or five times, and we just, I just we've just never been able to go together. The and, only and, difficulty is you do roll out of there um, because it is you just you, you can't stop eating. It, that's the only problem. Do they serve your wine there? They no. don't serve any wine there, and well, they actually yeah, have. Fair. If you ask for a second beer, they tell you it's uh, not a pub, so they and they recommend a pub down the street. So I've, they I've only heard do that. Beer. But, they, but they do sell beer and wine, or no, just beer. Just, just beer. beer. Just beer. Just yeah. beer. Uh, just a single beer. Yes, I, I read that <laughs> With somewhere. Your meal. I that was pretty it's very specific. <laughs> So that's gotta, the only I, weird thing about the place. Yeah, you literally we, ask for I, a second beer, and they and they say that's okay. Here's your bill. I think we got. I think we got to connect you guys because I know you've got a Winona Red or something like that. So we do. I think, I think that would probably go really well, and they could sell it by the glass. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably you're right. So uh, I, here's here's an interesting question. Like I, I, I'm, I'm still... surprised you don't want to try Chardonnay. For God's sakes, man, you've gone. Almost half an hour without, you know, uh, waxing poetic about a Chardonnay. I like the story. I want to hear more of it. Oh, do, do, why don't we try a, a wine so that we're not uh, rushing okay, okay. through them at the end? Okay, Absolutely. you, you, why don't, why don't we... you, you taste the wine, Michael. I'll ask the question, and then I'll taste the wine while someone starts to answer and, the, the question. And these two want to drink. They have three children. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Uh, do, do, My do, first, my do, first shard is already half done. Oh, okay. Do, do yeah. both of you have? Like a particular Chardonnay and or Pinot where it was just like the moment that you were just like, this is what I want to make. And it doesn't have to be from Niagara. Um, it just t- tell tell me about the moment, you know? Um, yeah, it doesn't – I mean to be honest, um, the, the neat thing is it kind of grows. I mean I was very lucky. I um, fell into pretty much um, – the oldest Chardonnay vineyard in Niagara at Daniel Lenko. And literally at the beginning of my career, my first winemaking job uh, was assistant winemaker at Daniel Lenko. Uh, and that was in the early 2000s. So I started there kind of at the end of 2001, <laughs> um, working with kind of 50 year old Chardonnay vines um, on the bench. And so uh, immediately, um, I loved what that was doing and I started really getting into Chardonnay very quickly because of the place that I started working. Um, and I, what really amazed me, honestly, uh, I can't say it's an exact moment, but um, the more I got into Chardonnay, the more I started going back to um, really original old world examples, Burgundy, um, and going back and just seeing um, how Niagara really stood up to that was the most kind of eye-opening thing to me because we know that there are great examples um, from the old world, especially places, uh, like I said, you know, mainly Burgundy, but lots of parts of the world make Chardonnay and Pinot. Um, But then to see um, how Niagara was both, I think, quality-wise right there um, and, you know, in some ways really similar and then in a whole bunch of ways different which is the part that i'm really kind of obsessed with especially now that i've got you know a bit of uh a bit of experience under my belt um i really want to promote you know all the things that make niagara chardonnay great does that make sense like i really want to i really want to make sure that we're putting out something that's super distinctive that isn't aping anyone else in the world Um, because i do think we can stand up to just about anybody quality wise um, especially if you put the effort in uh, we have a really really unique climate and i think that's um that's kind of what separates us from from a lot of parts of the world in chardonnay oh i i get what you're talking about andre just thinks that because he is such a chardonnay fan (laughs) uh and that basically i think he bathes in it now that uh that everybody has to have that holy moment when it comes to Chardonnay and I think we all come to wine in a different way and it's not always just one particular grape that makes us love it it is the diversity of wines that can be made from different parts of the world different grapes uh, and finding to me it's not you know 
honing in on one Chardonnay. It's honing in on different grape varieties and what they do in different parts of the world. I, I, but I, I agree. I, I'm not disagreeing with you, Michael. It's just the thing that I find fascinating as a writer is the fact that Chardonnay does so well virtually anywhere on the planet that that grows grapes, that it handles warm climate, it handles cool climate, but it really feels like... But, it, but you want everybody to have a holy shit moment when it comes to Chardonnay. And not everybody has that moment with just Chardonnay. They have it with wine. No, but I, under, I, under, I understand that. No, the don't. thing is, we, you, you have oh, I have a holy shit moment. Let's I have it. a holy shit moment. Let's hear it. With, so with, with Chardonnay or with wine? With Chardonnay. With Chardonnay. Oh. Well, so then you can join I, Andre's bandwagon here then. So, I, oh, I can say I'm hard for Chard all the time. Um, I love it. So um, at the beginning, I didn't. And Ilya essentially said, I'm putting a stop to this because this is insanity. The first night he made bacon carbonara, next night scallop, Thursday night lobster. I didn't want to tell him I was in love with Chard after the lobster because I just wanted him to keep cooking. <laughs> but to me, I find a lot of times I'll, I may not love a wine and then when when I have that like aha moment with a pairing, I am so much more open to coming back to it. And I think uh, I think Chardonnay, uh, that's uh, happened for a lot. Uh, that happens uh, a lot here. So many people say they hate Chardonnay, don't pour me a Chardonnay. And I start with our 50 Chardonnay that we're not pouring today. But like, I'm serious, Michael. I want to put like a bell in the winery for those people who say, I don't want to try Chardonnay, don't pour one for me. Um, and they go, oh, this is Chardonnay? Amazing. That's, just I, ring I just... the bell every time Pincus shows up. Look, I, I, I'll, I'll admit, I really, I really do like your 50 Chardonnay. I think it is, you know, it's a well-priced Chardonnay. It's got a great little story to it. It's, it's got the right amount of fruit every year, uh, and I'm always, I'm always a fan of that Chardonnay. I have, I have never not tasted that wine and go, damn, that's a good Chardonnay. Thank you. So, and coming from me, I hope that's that's higher praise than coming from Andre, who just if it says Chardonnay on the label, label, label. Blah, oh, blah, shut blah. up, Michael! But I mean, just to finish the point that I, I was making, and Nadia, thank you for her telling me about your your moment because I think that a lot of people have those moments. And if anyone goes to AndreWineReview.ca, I just wrote a Chardonnay manifesto that talked about my moments with the with the grape, and I feel fortunate to be able to. Um, to remember them it's just the thing i find fascinating about chardonnay and why it's something i love so much is it's an i feel like it's an equal mix of needing the hands of a a very skilled winemaker and it's a reflection of the climate regardless of of, of where it is and that's why the the good stuff is so good oh absolutely no it's 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 uh that i mean the the thing that's amazing to me about chardonnay honestly is it um it's it's one of those rare things that like um, combines like in a way it's it's literally the most planted grape variety in the world right so it, it you know on one level it's super super populist you could argue it's the most populist wine in the world and yet um, when it's great um, I think that's why I continue to be fascinated by it is it's both populist and sort of high art. And it can do both things, and it's the same grape variety. Like you said, you, it can do, um, you know, it can do something easy and breezy and not that interesting, um, but perfectly lovely. Or it can do something really fascinating and possibly, you know, mind or life altering. And it's kind of the same grape, um, and it just depends where you grow it and how you grow it and how you treat it. Um, and that is always fascinating to me because, you know, it's sort of in a way like Pinot Noir is not nearly as populist as Chardonnay in a way. Um, and yet it, it has this ability to, uh, to be interesting and, and even sometimes transcendent in a way that Pinot Noir is. Um, and I find that fascinating because, uh, normally when something is super, super interesting, it's not always um, necessarily that popular, you know what I mean? <laughs> like sometimes it, it, it's sort of a disconnect between people who are really into wine and then, and then, you know, maybe people who just want to drink wine as a beverage among many options. Right. And yeah. I just find it fascinating that Chardonnay can pretty much cover all of those people. Well, you took the words right out of my mouth the, yeah, the, the, the transcendent producer. because Pinot Noir is usually the, uh, the wine that most people talk about as being that, you know, that, again, let's go back to it, that holy 
moment where they went, I really love Pino. Uh, and Andre seems to want everybody to have that moment with Chardonnay, and he keeps pushing on it. But most people will have more of that moment with a Pino than they will with Chardonnay. Uh, I, I don't. I see. Yeah, see, I, I don't know if I agree with that. I think um, it's more just there's more Chardonnay. So I think that the, the, it's what I was just saying about like the populism of Chardonnay. I mean, there is just so much Chardonnay available uh, and out there, and um, I think it's just a matter of of that sort of happening, right? So I think. Um, there's just a lot more Chardonnay made, therefore a lot more Chardonnay that maybe is good, but not necessarily transcendent, you know what I mean? Whereas you have to really, it's just like any other grape, you have to really put that ability, that um, effort in. Whereas with the Pinot, the difficulty with Pinot um, when is it comes to difficult. populism is, is it, it's just as a grape variety, it doesn't deliver always. <laughs> and, and it, it, it can be either weird or thin or really transcendent, but there's not a lot in between. It's not the same. It doesn't do the sort of middle of the road thing that well. Um, so when you have a great Pinot, it is a whole thing <laughs> because it's just like it's so different from maybe something else you've had where you were like oh i just didn't like that where chardonnay sometimes its only mistake might be the chardonnay sometimes falls somewhere in the middle where it sometimes falls in a little bit of a gray area uh, as opposed to being like really awful or really great so anyway that's my my take and Michael, let's talk oh, about sorry. a really good one yeah yeah I, actually just just before we get because i do want to talk about the white, holy just, christ andre stop but mike no but i want i want to clear i just want to clarify something because i i do find it fascinating to ask people about what their moments are with specific wines it's, it's not just about chardonnay the reason i'm asking about yeah. chardonnay in this podcast is because you like you, chardonnay no because nadia nadia, nadia and Ilya have chosen to plant chardonnay like there is a commitment that goes into putting roots in everybody the in niagara plants chardonnay everybody in the prince edward county does chardonnay everybody in lake Erie north shore does chardonnay andre it's planted everywhere Ah, but not everybody does Chardonnay extremely well. I think yeah, the people think. who really care and like put their heart and soul into Chardonnay and it's your focus and your dream and your passion that comes across in the wines. Thank I mean, you. we didn't just decide, oh, you know what? Well, if we if we made a decision, oh, well, you know, people buy Cab Sauv, let's plant Cab Sauv, let's plant this, let's plant Riesling. We made a very conscious decision to plant wines that absolutely move us and those wines move other people as well so i don't know i'm i'm i think i'm uh, i think i'm on andre's side on this one you couldn't have said it better myself let's talk about Thank the wine God. michael <laughs> here let's talk, let's talk about the two chardonnays and we can I was get into that tired of hearing andre yeah. thank you nadia <laughs> That was awesome. Um, so let's, let's get it. And we, we thought it'd be cool because I totally agree with what Nadia said. It is. It was in the end our focus. Like a great example is in our total production at our winery. Um, if you add up like Chardonnay and Pinot Noir are pretty much equal of our production. They're each about 30% of our production. So 60% of our production total um, is just these two grape varieties. So we do take it pretty seriously. And the two Chardonnays we brought here, we thought it'd be awesome to just show you guys um, just a little lesson in terroir and um, and um, you know why uh, Chardonnay in a cool climate like our vineyard is really different from those sort of um, just run-of-the-mill Chardonnay. Um, so I thought that the coolest way to do that would be to show you these two wines. So um, what we've brought is our is basically they're both 2018 Chardonnays, both from our estate vineyard. So the only difference between these two wines, all the vinification is identical. So uh, they're both wild ferment, wild mallow. They were both in barrel exactly the same amount of time. The only difference is actually the specific part of the vineyard that the Chardonnay was grown and the clones uh, that those are part of because we have two clones of Chardonnay and they're on kind of two different soil types. Uh, so, um, you know, I thought it'd be awesome to show these two wines side by side and then we can talk about kind of how they mesh together. So, so because one, is, to one is the clone 96 and the other one obviously is the blend of the two and uh, I did a little a little reading on your back label. Yeah. Uh, I understand the clone 96 is a oh, three barrel, is that, is that correct? Uh, actually, this year was two barrels, but that changes. So the best way to describe the way we make these wines is really, honestly, we probably essentially make the Senchuk Vineyard first. Um, but we don't come into making that 
Chardonnay with any preconceived notions. So um, the idea with the Senchuk Vineyard is uh, to just try and make what we hope is kind of the best Chardonnay off of our property. But the interesting thing that has always happened is um, uh, originally when I did that, I thought that the Clone 96 would end up being sort of like a secondary wine. And what's happened is, is over time, this is about our third or fourth vintage on this wine now. And what the most interesting part is, um, as we've grown our sort of knowledge of the terroir, we're essentially, when we're putting the two wines together, we're actually making them simultaneously of sort of like we're trying to make two distinct wines does that make sense and it's cool that like originally the idea was to sort of almost like have tears but as it's turned out when we do the right stuff and when it works out which i think these two did they're really like of equal quality they're just totally different styles they're kind of like siblings right like like um you know like they're two brothers they're they're related but they're different and what i love about it as well is that like like Clone 96 and the 548, which is primarily in Centric with a little bit of Clone 96. Um, if you put those wines together, um, they they taste fine, but there's nothing transcendent about it. Uh, what Ilya really does is like the passion and the mad scientist uh, that he is when, when they're putting these wines together. It is just like you find the best in uh, Centric and then you, and then Clone 96 honestly always tastes wonderful all on its own. I think what the first time we made Centric, it took six months to find the right blend. And then like we tasted the rest of Clone 96 and we said, oh crap, that tastes really good. Um, but it, sometimes that's how it happens. And it, it's continued to move down that road. And it's, it's just wonderful to see. So many places, if they don't take Chardonnay seriously, are just kind of, well, that's, we only have two and a half acres of Chard. Let's just throw it all together and vinify it, you know, the clones together, and it is what it is. Ilya really takes pains of keeping the clones separate, and now we actually keep the one part of our vineyard where there's a little bit more clay, and we, we make sure those are vinified separately from the other soils. Because, like, we give a crap about terroir. Um, uh, and even on a two and a half acre parcel, you shouldn't worry so much because that's not a lot of wine, but he cares. And I think you taste the difference. So there is definitely a difference here. I do have one question before I, I get into any kind of tasting note. How much new oak uh, is in the Senchuk vineyard? Well, so that, that's, uh, uh, you know what, I'm not going to tell you guys, and the only reason I say that is because I'll be interested to hear your answer, then I'll tell you the real answer, because um, um, I would be interested to hear what you guys have to say just generally about the two wines. I mean, I'll give you like, like a quick idea of where the two wines come from on our vineyard. So the Senchuk is, as you were mentioning, more 548 is the majority of it still. And there's a bit of 96 clone in it. Um, but the 548 does tend to have more of a clay portion in the soil. Uh, whereas the clone 96 is on a part of our vineyard that is a bit more sort of alluvial, kind of stony and silty. And so it's a little bit of a softer soil. So although there is some clay on the clone 96, it's further down. Um, and, um, you know, so the two clones are different, um, but in terms of the actual vinification, they're pretty similar. Um, I just find that the Senchuk tends to be a lot more sort of like proper, like mineral wet stone. Like it really kind oh, of heads that way with a fair bit of acid. I find the 96 a little rounder, you know, a little more almost, you know, like those sort of grilled pineapple, almost peach, creamier, a little bit broader wine. Um, and that really is reflective of how the wines come out. Like I try not to get in the way of that too much. That seems to mm -hmm. be what we're getting. And then I try and just find the best version of each wine, if that makes any sense, and put that together. My, my well, in, in, interestingly enough, I think the labels on my wine then were switched because I, I find the uh, Senchuk to be a little uh, a little creamier. Yeah, that's okay. Okay, so I was worried my taste buds were screwed up because Michael and I are actually having a, a, a side chat to make sure we're staying on a certain amount of topic, but we were we were swapping yeah. swapping tasting notes here. I, I do find the Senchuk a little bit bigger and a little bit um, a little bit more fruit, a little bit more fruit forward. I'm getting a little bit more pineapple on it. I'm not. Um, I, I'd be very surprised if there was any new oak at all. In either either one of these wines. Um, 
but like it's it it does have a little bit of that like vanilla and and spice but it's so deeply buried under the fruit and mineral um these are these are very tasty very tasty wines well i'm gonna i'm gonna go with this andre i'm going to uh according to the notes on the back label which i've already found out are not true um the uh the clone 96 is supposed to be all done in neutral it is. Uh, and I it is done. So that is correct. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the crazy thing. Well, I guess my point is when I taste them, uh, there's a fair bit of new oak on the Senchuk. Yes, I was going to say there's definitely some new oak. Particularly it, it, more woody than the Clone 96. I think flavor-wise, even though, um, you know, like there's a little bit more, but. The interesting thing to me is um, it's one of those situations where we don't worry so much about what the real number is. Does that make any sense? We strictly put these wines together by taste and style. And I then, think, you know, I does that make any sense? And then it, yeah. I think the 96 has got a lot of great mineral notes to it. Totally. Uh, there, is a, there is a richness in the mouth, but it is mm-hmm. not oaky in any way shape or form nope. whereas i think that the uh the senchuk is definitely that more buttery spicier um creamy uh note to it uh but i i thought i find the clone 96 just has a, a real richness that is undercut by that minerality and the acidity and that clone 96 to me is 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 a bomb is just the bomb whereas i think andre is going to tell me that the senchuk is his love uh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I guess you, you've got me paid. I'll be honest. I, I I love I love I love both of these wines um, for very different reasons because they, they they okay the heat wave in Toronto is over. The day we're recording this, we're recording this on July fifteenth. You know, on one of those days when it's hot as balls, like the days it's hot as Satan's balls, I would love to sit outside. And just, you have some intimate knowledge of Satan's balls that I don't think well, I want so, Somebody's got to. <laughs> <laughs> but I would love to just sit outside and, and crush the, the Clone 96. Just get that, that mineral. And it's just like, you know, we had no rain for two weeks. And it's that wet stone, that wet cement that you, that you get right before the rain. And it's just, it's so satisfying in the summer, like to be able to reproduce that. Because it, it is one of the best smells in the world. And like to be able to recreate that on the palate is just... It's just satisfying. The, the, the set- I think it's funny that from being from Toronto that you, you really love wet cement. I mean, you know, Niagara, we're a little, little more green focused here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, lo- I love living in the city. I, 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 I will admit that, but I, it's just that, that smell of ozone. And yeah, yeah. Anyways, and the, mm-hmm. this, this, the Senchuk is something that I just feel needs to be. First off, I think it's, it's still r- really too young. Um, and that's not saying there's anything wrong with it because it's so crushable right now. But I think it needs a bit of patience, and it's something that needs to be pondered and like put it away and and, and set it aside for a couple of years, and then come back to it. Well, definitely, and I will say, I guess, I guess the point really is, I think you, when we put these two wines together, um, I do think there's a tightness and structural element in the Senchuk. Um, and that is deliberate as a winemaker, but it's really only a reflection of what those grapes and those wines are like when we make them. Does that make any sense? Like the 548 tends to be a lot more sort of tight and structural in the core of the wine. Does that make sense? I, I feel like the Clone 96 is more of an open book uh, as a wine, uh, whereas I feel like the Senchuk sort of unfolds slowly. Does that make sense? And that's just really... I mean, that is deliberate, but it's it's a reflection of kind of the two parts of the vineyard. So that's why I always think of the 96 as being sort of bigger, because I think of it, like I think of wines almost like with a personality, right? And so I think the Clone 96 is just friendlier. Does that make sense? Like more open, more 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 t- sort of talkative. And I think the Senchuk, maybe, um, you know, if you spend a little bit of time getting to know it, then it might have a lot to say, but it might not necessarily be the loudest person in the room. So it's even though, so even though I like that, even though I like that personally, I'm, I'm leaning towards the Senchuk right now. If wines for people, I'm the Clone 96 because everyone likes me, and Michael is the Senchuk because it takes a little bit to get to know him. Oh, is that it? Yeah. <laughs> you keep thinking that. 
<laughs> you keep talking Chardonnay the way you are, people will go like, I don't want to talk to that guy anymore. <laughs> that's all he talks about because he can't yeah. talk about anything else. <laughs> I'm sure you guys talk about lots of other things. No, but what? So, what do you guys think of the wines? <laughs> uh, I, I'm I'm really digging both of them, and um, they they actually remind me of a few of the wines that I tasted last time I was in Burgundy, um, in Chessang and and Pouligny Montrachet. And uh, for forty five bucks, I mean that this is, I, I think it's delivering a lot of wine. It's delivering a lot of wine at those price points. Well, thank you. Thank yeah, you no, very no, much. We, we, I mean, those are certainly our models, but um, so I appreciate that. But I always like I, uh, how can I put it? I, I look upon those areas as like I want our wines to maybe act like old world wines, but. I do think they show a distinctly Niagara bent, if that makes any sense. Like I want to make sure that what we have is sort of truly Niagara. So I don't know if they taste that much, but in terms of the balance and the minerality and the acid and the general feel, uh, that's totally my model. But again, hopefully, I've taken it to something you know a little uh, a little unique as well. So that's that's. Anyway, that's my hope. It's, it's definitely that, reflective that of, of what's up. happening in, in Niagara, and, and I'll admit because I know I know that making wines that taste like the place they come from is is front and center, um, front and center of what you're doing. So I was hesitant to, to sort of compare them to, to Burgundy, but it's just like it, it's very clear that your style is looking towards that. I don't think that's a bad thing. No, no, no. I, I I will always take it as a compliment. And and in 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 I do look upon it as kind of in the in the same way a lot of chefs do. Like, um, there's nothing wrong with saying, look, you know, a lot of as an example, a lot of cooking techniques are French based in terms of the technique. And so that's how the, the same way I feel about it. Like the technique might be sort of rooted in old world and in Burgundy, but then hopefully if you get good enough at it and then you make it your own and you kind of embrace your area does that make any sense so the the background and the technique and the feel and is sort of you know based on some awesome models and then uh and then hopefully we make it you know distinctly canadian and distinctly niagara the, the producer of the show has let me know that it is time for us to move off the topic of chardonnay yes it is all right no no. Problem. <laughs> all right so here's Here's what it is. While you guys were off masturbating over Chardonnay, I decided to pop the cork on this Senchuk Pinot. And um, it's yummy. Here's here's my thought. This is your second release of this wine, correct? Uh, third release to the public. The public uh, third, the sorry, um, sorry, third vintage total, but second release to the public. Does that make okay. sense? So the very first vintage was 2015. That was just to our wine club. And then 16 and 17 are the first that so have been 16, available. 16 I, re- I remember tasting with you. Yeah. And um, I was totally blown away at how good it was. And you said something like it was like fourth or fifth leaf or something to that nature. Mm. Uh, you and then we we got into the the talk of oak, and if I'm not mistaken, you said it was a hundred percent new. Uh, it wasn't a hundred percent. It was it was close. It was eighty. Yeah, something something astronomically <laughs> some ridiculous stupid. asinine number. Yeah, sure. the number. No, it was it was an because even at the time I was actually fighting that wine the whole way because I didn't like the number. But anyway, <laughs> but I, I remember it being astronomically high. And yet it, it had such a finesse to it, and it was such a gorgeous bottle of wine. So you, you come at now this next vintage, having having the bar really, really high in my book, and I was, like, looking forward to this wine. And I'm going to say, it is delicious, and it is tasty, and I really like it. It's not the 16, but it's really good. Um, I'm, but, I am, I am, I am, I am crushed right now because I didn't get to taste the 16. Um, the 16 was outstandingly Michael, Michael, good. I put this, this one is very good, but the other this... one just it took Pinot to another level for me, and that 80% new oak was just mind blowing. And I I remember uh, doing the video on it, and I was like 80%. You'd think this should not work, but it was absolutely gorgeous. So hats off on the 16. The 17 sits just under it, but uh, this wine is also very very tasty. You know, I no, um, awesome. I put the wine ahead, in, I put ahead, the wine in my glass, and I I haven't even tasted. I actually made a mistake of over chilling it. 
if I mean it's not hot as Satan's balls out, but it's still pretty warm in Toronto. I wanted to put a bit of chill on the on the Pinot here. You and Lucifer have something going on there. Oh, Andrew. totally. Yeah. I love that show. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? Every minute of every day, I'm married. The um, I I I need to be able. I I I hope that I can get a chance to taste the 16 to do the the side by side. Uh, I'll see if I can find someone who has a bottle of it, Michael. I don't know if you do, but maybe we'll see. Uh, we actually have some magnums. Okay, I, I'll come pick one up on Saturday, uh, and it better be as good as Michael says because the 17. I'm drinking it out of uh, a Zalto Burgundy glass right now, and that's not a product placement for Zalto. It's just I love these glasses. I thought you were saying you were drinking right out of the bottle. And it's <laughs> the the it's so intense that I can smell it. It's 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 about a foot away from my face on my on my desk, and I can still smell the aromas out of the glass without it being close to my face. Yeah, no. What's cool about this wine? What I find fascinating just about our. Uh, our Sanchuk Vineyard generally, the Pinot, is um, like, you know, we, I mean, in the end, we did take a chance on this vineyard, but it was sort of an educated guess, right? And um, the thing I love about the 17, even compared to the 16, the only thing I'll say that I like a little bit better in the 17 is I think the acid and structure and core on the 17 probably signals that it's going to have a little bit of a longer life than the 16. Um, but having said that, um, I do think no matter what, the thing about our vineyard here is because we're a relatively cooler spot in Niagara during the growing season, so we essentially have the same growing season length as any other part of Niagara. It's just our average kind of daily highs are a little bit lower than a lot of parts of Niagara. And so what you get is this amazing, like, flavor intensity. And I do think that's unusual anywhere in Pinot. Like, I think Pinot, there's a lot of Pinot in Niagara as well, but I think in terms of sort of total intensity, but in a wine that still isn't, like, overly big, if you know what I mean. I'm not one of those people who believes in huge Pinot. Like, I think Pinot Noir is fundamentally sort of a medium-bodied wine um, with oh, okay, you know, but... hopefully decent acidity and hopefully you know half-decent tannin, but it isn't supposed to be sort of Syrah or Merlot-like in any way. It's supposed to be medium-bodied. Okay, but and let's so define huge. Let's, let's, really let's... fascinating is when you, like in our vineyard, that was my goal, is to do uh, you know a real classic Burgundy model in terms of the weight of the wine versus the flavor intensity. Does that make sense? Like, I really yeah, yeah, but, want but... It, and it's always been my goal. So I, I like what Michael was talking about, the 16. I mean, we released the 16 with a bit more bottle age than this wine, so I feel like over time, uh, this one might even beat the 16 but that's more of an aging potential thing if you know what i mean whereas yep. um i will admit the 16 was like boom like in your face immediately um this one is i think a little bit like the scent of chardonnay i think you sort of need to spend some time with it give it a bunch of air you know give it maybe you know talk to it the right way <laughs> you know give, give it a little bit of love um, but I do think like once, um, like I always find this wine sort of like the third day open, like crazy. Wow. So it's, it's one of those kind of wines. So I think over time it could even beat the 16, but it's so hard to know because we're a younger vineyard and on that side and we, you know, we've only made a few vintages, but, um, I do feel at least our bar, um, for such a young vineyard and what we're doing, I think is incredibly high for anywhere. And I think that's what I'm most proud of with these wines is I think, you know, um, I'm not sure 10 years ago that anyone in Niagara was doing these kind of things right out of the gate, whereas now um, I'm hoping we're pushing, like, wine quality for the area as a whole. Well, okay, here's something I want to put to you, though. Like, let's define what a huge wine is, because this Pinot is, it's got a little bit of floral, it's got that that earthy basement, it's got uh, a lot of cherry, and with the the glass on the table in front of me, all I'm smelling is, is cherry. Um and, and and it's 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 elegant, but I mean, yeah, you're right. It's not Cab Sauv, it's not Syrah. It's it's definitely Pinot, but the intensity on this wine is is off the charts. I mean, it's off the charts for for Niagara. Um, so let, let's define the word huge. How do you define a huge Pinot? Because to me, this is a huge Pinot. Yeah, the tannin's soft, but it's still a huge Pinot. 
I find though, if something's too big on Pinot, like it, like I'll, I'll compare it to like a California Pinot. Doing my certified Somme, I struggled with that because to me it didn't taste like Pinot from California. If it's too hot, if it's too big, you don't get that beautiful earth. You're not getting the cherry. It's just red wine. Whereas this, there's concentration. There's so much going on and the earthiness and the underbrush and the, so many different layers. To me, this is like taking a mud bath and then like rolling in fresh soil. I just love, um, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, maybe that's just me. I'm visual. Um, I, I, there's a, there's a concentration and a bigness, but you, you don't need to, yeah, you don't need to, I don't know. Then, well, you and, guys and part, talk about it. Well, I know, and part of the concentration, though, I will say, is that we just get incredibly low yields. So, and um, one of the amazing things that I think shows that our farm is pretty unique in Niagara is we're only getting about one. I mean, ask Nadia, the accountant, on this side. We're only getting one point four to one point eight tons per acre on this Pinot, um, and yet we're getting sort of in a way like something very structural, but not particularly necessarily bigger weight-wise than a lot of Pinots, um, but flavor intensity-wise is like off the charts, right? And that's what was always my goal, is to get something where the total size of the wine maybe isn't necessarily much bigger than other Pinots, like sort of alcohol and tannin-wise, but, um, but flavor intensity-wise and sort of longevity and acid and all that is hopefully something we haven't really seen from Niagara. So that's always been my goal. And I think we're, you know, I'm, I'm making steps towards it. That's how I feel right now. So, what what I what I notice slightly different uh, about this wine, and again, it may come down to that bottle age that you talked about, is that I am picking up a little of that cedar notes at the back of, of uh, from the oak, and and maybe the uh, the sixteen had that time to meld and kind of get rid of it it's not anything that's intrusive in any way shape or form it just kind of sits there on the back palate and says i was definitely in oak um whereas and i I don't know what the length of time that the 16 was in bottle before release versus the the 17. Yeah, was, there was about six months uh, okay. extra on the 16, but also they're very different vintages. Like part of, um, like the 16 we picked, again, relatively early on purpose because it was such a hot year. And I really don't like sort of overblown Pinot. And then in 17, it was the exact opposite kind of vintage. It was very cool. So we needed to hang the grapes out in the vineyard just to even get them ripe, right? So they were very two completely kind of opposite vintages. So there's not really a way to change the vintage part of things. Um, and I do think some of that, because I've always gotten almost a, um, not even just cedary, but almost a, um, like, uh, like full-on, like, green herbs, you know what I mean? Like, almost like tarragon, oregano kind of thing mm. um, on this wine, especially in the 17. And interestingly, um, both of those things were in there even before it was put in oak. So, I mean, I've always found that uh, a bunch of that is sort of vintage related, right? So um, then it really comes down to the kind of vintages you might like, but also, yeah, time and um, and really, you know, what your preferences are. And I think that's interesting because I actually also felt that the 16 tasted more integrated earlier. And I feel like this 17 probably, like I said, in my personal opinion, it might be one of the best Pinots I've made, but I'm sort of hedging because I don't know if the pieces have come together as quickly as the 16 did. I feel like the 16 just kind of flicked a switch and was like, oh man, that's that's how I wanted it. That's amazing. <laughs> and I feel like this 17 is really, really great, but it just needs a little bit of time. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I get that. I, and I and I see that, uh, and, and when you said six months, like, especially for Pinot, six months can be a lifetime uh, for a Pinot. It's just one of those grapes that, you know, in six months, it'll be great. In another year, it'll be disjointed. Give it another year, and it's fabulous. Give it uh, another year, and you're like, Pinot just continues to be one of those evolving wines that, bottle to bottle, vintage to vintage, doesn't matter what it is. It just seems to have a lifespan in bottle that is just crazy. 
You can buy mm-hmm. bottles, and they'll be oh, they'll all taste not only completely different, but one you're like, why did I buy three? And then one you're like, why didn't I buy ten? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And no, I do. Like I said, we're we're super super proud of this wine just because I do think my I think especially I hope you guys agree across these three wines. Like I don't think anybody is producing wines that taste like ours in Niagara. <laughs> um, and that is the ultimate goal, I think, for Nadia and I, who we're, we're so passionate about doing the right grape varieties and doing all the right things to make the best wine we can. Um, I think... Trust me, the financials don't work want. on Centric Vineyard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, I, but I suddenly want barbecue. I don't know why. Yeah, just, exactly. Just saying. Well... Come on down to Memphis. Yeah. <laughs> and it all comes back <laughs> nice to Memphis segue. Good, barbecue. Good, good tie-in. <laughs> Man, you know what? Uh, I'm going to be perfectly honest. $65 is a lot to ask um, from anywhere in In a Niagara. pandemic? <laughs> in a pandemic. I mean, there's, there's lots of reasons why $65 is a lot to ask for, for a bottle of wine um, from Niagara. But I think this is well worth the price of admission. And I didn't get to taste the 2016. I am... I'm definitely, I'm coming down again on Saturday. I'm going to grab a bottle of this. I'm going to maybe talk to my wife if I can get a Magnum of the 16 and we'll see what, we'll see what happens. But this is, this is stupid good. That concentration it was so much, in the glass. It was so much easier to buy wine when you were single, wasn't it, Andre? Uh, <laughs> don't, just tell me about it. There's a lady on the podcast, gentlemen. You have to be, uh, you know, above board on this. I'm sure it works for you too, Nadia. Listen, Nadia, it's nothing to do with gender and everything to do with, like, you know, this (laughs) stupid thing about I have this thing to pay called rent and, like, you know, we don't want to be homeless. Yeah, what'd you guys have to do? You living in a cardboard box before you got married? Yeah, Yeah, but, like, (laughs) you know, I can... I bought a new wine rack earlier this year and there was room for like four cases of wine on it. And here we are like five months later and it's full. Welcome to my world. <laughs> that the just diff- means you guys like what wine. What you need to I- do is you need to have a partner and, or if, and if they're not a, a, as crazy wine lover now, you just make them a crazy wine lover. I mean, when I started, I was just like, I don't know, it's it's fruity. It tastes like wine. Shut up. Um, whereas Ilya's really put the time in to make me a wine lover. Um, and, uh, you know. It wasn't that hard. You were pretty into it's it. It's so much more fun than banking. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Look. So, and, and he teaches me like uh, so many things. Like one time we went and we tried um, uh, an orange wine out of Amphora. And then he came to me and says, well, Nadia, can, can we buy some Amphora? I said, yeah, sure. I'm thinking four. Or, no, what did we say? We bought three, four. We bought four. We, we bought four, but actually, the, so the awesome thing about that, so yes, we did, we totally had some pretty awesome um, orange wine, um, and it was an amphora, and so I had this idea that I might buy one or two amphora um, to make these wines, and then I poured this wine for Nadia, and she's like, well, what do you need, like four? So I said, yes, of course, that's the exact number <laughs> because that I was thinking. Just because the name lends to amphora. That's right. Four. You have to have at least four. four otherwise, it's not amphora. worth the purchase. Yeah. <laughs> you can't just buy one. Um, so, um, yeah, I was I was going to say Nadia basically took the words out of my mouth. I was I was going to say that really, realistically, um, it won't be a fight if you just, you know, if you're just both into wine. So you just have to <laughs> pull, your, pull your partner in enough that they start doing the purchases with you and then you berate them and then it spurs them to buy more wine. Um, so, so what you're saying is, while you were the, uh, a booze hound, she was a booze hag in in kind of sheep's clothing and came right out with you. Oh, oh totally. absolutely! And, and now yeah. she is. She buys at least. I mean, we are fifty-fifty on wine purchases without question. It might she might even buy slightly more. Um, overall, we just you know we might buy slightly different things, um, but overall, at least, um, yeah, I've, she's totally. Um, I, you got to remember, we're like, you know, we're total partners in in life, but in this business, um, but totally in our passion for wine as well. And it's been it's been amazing because I couldn't I couldn't ask for anybody uh, for anybody better to do this uh, this crazy journey with. So, 
on that Aww. note, on that note, on that very uh, saccharine Sheet note, and sappy and sentimental sappy moment, saccharine. we've been we've been talking for an hour, and I, I I will I will straight up admit this has been the shortest hour that we've ever done on the podcast. Um, we're gonna have to have you guys back, maybe later sure. on in the year, see what's new, maybe to talk about harvest or something. But let's talk about other things other than Chard and Pinot. I know they you make know what? Gamay, they make Bab, am, they make yes. Blanc. I am so I am so on board with that because I know Ilya, you have a reputation for Syrah as well. I would love to do that, and we do some really funny. We just briefly talked about the amphora, but we're doing some really fun wine. Generally, our sort of off the wall uh, series of wines I call Freaks and Geeks. Um, so I do a whole bunch of like really fun uh, experimental things uh, with lees and amphora and concrete tanks and all kinds of cool like super geeky stuff. Um, so we could always, I mean, we could do a whole show on geeky stuff if you want. <laughs> so we can do whatever you guys want. I would, I I would Seth, love that. I, because... I believe Seth Rogen comes with a bottle too. Well, and I would, I would absolutely. Well, without yeah. question, yeah. I would love that because I can see Michael cringing. Say the word oh, amphora. Right. Amphora. Why doesn't anybody amphora. go with the gamay and the cab franc? Why amphora. does everybody have to go with weird shit? Amphora. No, you know what? I, amphora. I actually would love. So, I mean, you're talking about gamay, but um, a gamay is a great example because we have both amphora gamay and then also a classic gamay, and they're both super interesting. So, stuff like that is always fascinating to me because I, I'm with you, Michael. I actually, <laughs> um, outside of Chardonnay and Pinot. Um, probably, you know, Riesling, uh, Gamay, Cab Franc. Are... All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. I'm yeah. cutting the tape. This is the next podcast. I'm cutting the tape. This right. is where the interview ends. The tape is cut now. Okay. I am the only person who did not contribute to the Brian Schmidt swear jar in that episode, and I am f- proud of myself. Oh, yeah. And a, and a double dose right there. Uh, it is true. Everybody was having their holy f- moment, and you were oh, just having it one. Uh, at home. I guess. Oh, uh, man, I I am like, like my balls are tingling at the thought of tasting the 2016 uh, Senchuk Vineyard Pinot. Like, let's you know face what? it, like that, you know that, 20, that right. 2017 is a whole lot of wine. It is. And my, and my, my I can't believe I'm going to say this. And my anus is wet to try the, the Gamay, the Cab Franc, and uh, the Syrah. Oh my god, this is just this is just awful. Um, so if you're not completely offended and turned off by what Michael and I have just said, would you consider helping us out on Patreon? Uh, you know, $2, $5. Uh, it doesn't seem like a lot. I, I hate to sound like the 1996 um, TV infomercial, but for the cost of a cup of coffee a day, you can support your independent wine journalists that are not paid by the wineries to review their wines. We are on our way to tell the real stories of Niagara and do it without having them in our pockets. So look at us, us up on Patreon. That's two guys talking wine. We've now got a new Instagram page, so please look us up there as well. You can look at Michael's ugly face whenever you want. Hashtag two guys talking wine. I'm Andre Prue from AndreWineReview.ca. It's an at two guys talking wine. But And I'm Michael Pingus from MichaelPingusWineReview.com. Take us Thanks away, Michael. Listening. We always appreciate it. And Subscribe. I'm trying to talk over Andre because all he wants to do is say Chardonnay again. Good night. Amphora. 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 Michael, you sick of this yet? Amphora. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.